stay tuned for the Farm and Garden Show with your hosts, Matthew, Lama, and Leela. Welcome to the Farm and Garden Show. We broadcast the third Thursday of every month. My name is Lemma, and I'm here today with my co-hosts and family, Matthew and Leela. We are broadcasting live from the Ron O'Brien studio in Philo, California. This is a call-in show, so at half past the hour, we'll be opening up the lines for questions and comments. And the number to call is 895-2448. Today, we'll be interviewing Alex Nielsen of Cinnamon Bear Farm as a part of our Farmer Spotlight series, where we get to know the people who grow our food. Before I begin, I'd like to remind folks that all the farmer's markets are in full swing. If you're in Redwood Valley, your market's on Sundays from 9.30 to 12.30 at Lions Club Park. In Laytonville, the farmer's market is on Mondays at 2.30 in Harwood Hall. In Fort Bragg, the market is on Wednesdays from 3 to 5.30 in downtown Fort Bragg at Laurel and Franklin. In Willits, the market is on Thursdays from 3 to 6, West Mendocino Avenue between Muir and Main. In Mendocino, the village of Mendocino, on Fridays from noon to 2, downtown at Howard and Main Street. In Boonville, also on Fridays through the end of September from 4 to 6 p.m. at Anderson Valley Brewing Company. In Ukiah, Saturdays 9 to noon at Alex Thomas Plaza. And you can always find more at mcfarm.org. Today is our guest, or excuse me, today our guest is Alex Nielsen. <laughs> Alex is a market gardener and has been farming with Cinnamon Bear Farm in Ukiah for the past eight years. He lives in Redwood Valley with his wife Sarah and their many animals. He is the president of the Mendocino, County's, Mendocino County Farmers Market Association. His farm was the recipient of three grants from the Good Farm Fund. He is a member of Mendocino Renegade, and he works with the Mendo Lake Food Hub. And I have to add that he grows amazing tomatoes. Welcome to the Farm and Garden Show, Alex. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here in the studio. To start, can you paint us a picture of what's happening in your garden right now? Yeah, so the, uh, the garden's kind of a mess right now. I think it's probably the best way to put it um this this time of year it's like a lot of weeds a lot of uh things that are kind of past their prime uh, a lot of tomatoes are looking a little tired um but we still have some things that, are, that we're harvesting mostly tomatoes um some cucumbers and some squash kind of getting getting geared up for the next uh the next season so pulling stuff out pulling tomato plants out mowing the weeds that have become overgrown um yeah trying to clean up all right yeah hi there this is matthew i'm gonna ask alex a couple questions here you are very involved in the farming scene here in the county how did you get into farming would you describe the path that led you to where you are today yeah um so i i didn't grow up farming i didn't grow up on a farm i didn't grow up really in the country i grew up in in ukiah you know in in town um i didn't really get into farming until 
see, I was probably, I think I was like 16 or 17, I had got a, uh, a, just a little job at a local farm, I actually moved, I was living in Lake County at the time, and I worked with uh, Jim Leonardis, uh, Leonardis Organics, which the farm is no longer in operation, but um, I, basically I got a job through, through my brother, working with this farmer, and um just instantly fell in love with being outside and I mean I was doing I was pulling weeds I was doing everything I was harvesting uh mostly mostly pulling weeds um (laughs) but yeah my hands in the dirt and just really seeing it from the the labor side and I just fell in love with it and uh it was around that time um actually my mom was diagnosed with uh with breast cancer and so it was kind of this huge transition for my family. We started paying attention to, you know, what we were eating, uh, where our food was coming from. And I think it was around that time that I started to just get interested in gardening, gardening in general and trying to, you know, grow grow food in the backyard. And uh, so that's kind of where it started. It, it snowballed from there, you know, growing a bigger garden in the backyard every year to when I, when I got into college, um starting to study agriculture and uh from there i got my my teacher um you know shout out to jim zeroyans at the college um just retired actually but uh he introduced me to jack and mimi booth um said they were looking for a farm partner and um that was my beginning at cinnamon bear farm uh and really my foray into really learning from jack and mimi um kind of coming under their wing and you know learning everything from soil prep to planting crops and then taking stuff to market that's where it really all began um more in depth and uh just you know it blossomed from there that's great reminds me of a sort of apprenticeship one of you know a mentorship so these kinds of things were yeah yeah and jack has been farming i mean all his life pretty much he was raising tomatoes and you know raising ducks from a, a young age and you know, he'd sell tomatoes to his neighbors so it's, and yeah beekeeping too right and yeah and a, honey. definitely a beekeeper that was kind of his main thing he was raising bees and pollinating uh orchards and hauling bees all over the place and then selling his honey at the market and mimi was a farmer's market manager for a long time so mm-hmm. very involved family in in mendocino county it's cool to be able to have that that knowledge passed down. Absolutely, like sharing around the county. So, what what's it like to be a market gardener, and how does it differ from just regular gardening? Yeah, so they, I wouldn't say they're exactly exclusive um, from each other. the The difference, but mo- experience in both, you know, it's like what I see is a big difference. Is like if you're a gardener, you usually like really excited about your tomato plants and you know maybe you're growing a couple squash plants in the backyard you may be playing too many of those and then you're like oh, i got all this squash <laughs> um the the big difference is having successions of of crops you know following each other right after the, the other so making sure your uh your spring and your summer kind of seamlessly transition into each other um, I know there's a lot of gardeners that, that do it. Um, 
uh, flawlessly. You know, they're able to, you know, they're planting their radishes or their lettuce every week. But um, my experience as being a gardener, just gardening like in my yard, um, that was the big difference. I, I didn't really follow things up with the next crop or the next season. Uh, mostly because I just didn't know about it at the time. But, um, you know, if, if you're like... You know, you're you're trying to get a good crop of tomatoes so you can can. That might be your main focus. Uh, when you get into the market gardening side, it's like making sure you have your tomatoes early, having things early. You know, like really tuning in on your shoulder seasons, like having you know getting your hoop houses up so you can get your tomatoes by June is like is critical. Having things early. Um, and then making sure you're planting things every week. So, because if, if you miss a week, it's you're you're looking out months in advance of things. You know, not having the the radishes or the lettuce. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just a it's a constant. You know, following of a schedule is is critical. And then marketing it. You know, selling your produce if you're trying to make a living. Um, figuring out where you're going to sell your stuff, what people want to buy. Um, how to package it, how to market things. Uh, it's all, you know, it's very, very involved. Whereas if you're just gardening, it's, it's more fun. It's enjoyable. Um, and then you're growing your own food, which the, they both have that benefit, but then trying to market it and sell everything is just a whole nother, whole nother Avenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like you did really well this year. You were the first on the scene with tomatoes. That was great. Yeah. Um, one thing, you know, Jack and Mimi taught me uh, early on is having tomatoes, being the, being the first at market with tomatoes, because um, everyone loves tomatoes. It's hard to find, and if they don't, it's like they'd never really tried like a fresh, like homegrown, <laughs> delicious tomato. So um, they kind of, I feel like, I mean, they didn't they didn't pioneer the idea of early tomatoes, but they really nailed it with getting them to market early, as far back as. You know, I can remember, um, and a lot of a lot of folks that are you know uh, familiar with the Ukiah Farmers Market and the Fort Bragg markets, uh, they knew cinnamon bear is like having tomatoes like early as possible, and um, so yeah, it's something that that we really try to do is like have them early, and uh, yeah, because it's like if you can have early tomatoes, like that's it's summer, you know, it's time. It's time for that hot weather. Yeah. Uh, so what are the most rewarding things about being a farmer? Some of the most challenging things to choose? Um, Other than tomatoes, because for me, that's the most rewarding. <laughs> yeah. Fresh produce is probably the most rewarding thing about farming. Um, being able to grow things. Like I, I feel like anything where you're doing something with your hands that is has a tangible outcome, where you're seeing whether you're building something or or just creating something in general. um, I feel like that is probably one of the most rewarding things. Um, The the upside of being a farmer is that you're outside, you're in the sun, you're. I mean, know how good that sunlight is for you. It's like you're in the you're putting your hands in the soil, you're getting, you know, the bacteria under your fingernails, like all the stuff that's really good for people. Um, all that stuff is, 
I feel like some of the most rewarding things. Um, another thing is like bringing your stuff to market and giving people or people purchasing your produce or, you know, giving it to people is really exciting too. Just like passing on something that you grew from seed, like that, that experience of growing something from nothing essentially. And then, you know, bringing that to market, you know, is, is really, uh, that's what gets me excited about farming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nourishing our community. Yeah. Sure. The deepest, in the deepest sense. Yeah. Food is, I mean, it's something that, you know, it kind of, it crosses cultural boundaries. I mean, everyone eats food. Everyone cooks food. So it's, yeah. That's cool. Autonomous self-organizing uh, statues that are edible. Yeah. And then the challenges. I mean, you know, it's, it's, the list is so long of challenges. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to start with the challenges. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into some specifics here in a little bit. Yeah. So farming includes a lot of experimentation lots of happy accidents can you share some of your best successes as well as some of your most epic failures with us we all know that you know failing is a great learning opportunity if you're in the right state of mind yeah sometimes your failures are more important than your successes um and yeah i've failed a lot i've had beds that have just completely been overrun with weeds and it's just better at that point to mow it and start over. Um, so that's, I can't count the amount of times that that's happened. Um, but with that, you learn like, all right, what, what went wrong? Where, the, where, the, where'd I time it? If I had time it a little earlier, mm -hmm. maybe I could beat the weeds. Um, happy accidents. I can think of one. Uh, I planted a bunch of like a mixed bed of, uh, uh, there was like cilantro, there was dill. I had like all these different things all in the same bed, and they were more or less they were weeds. You know, I, weeds are just you know plants out of place, mm -hmm. and uh, so I was like, well, I could I could completely just mow it down and and start over. But um, it was like all these things that I could put in a salad mix. So I I started putting the cilantro and the and the dill. There was like some different edible flowers in there. And uh, it made a really nice, like, herbal, earthly kind of salad mix. And um, we called it, like, our salad enhancer, you know. And it, it sold really good. Like, a lot of people were asking about it, like, oh, where's the salad enhancer? Uh, <laughs> I love that. Enhancer. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was really good. So that's, that's just an example, you know. Um, sometimes, you know, the weeds are, you can harvest the weeds. If you're just joining us, you are listening to the Farm and Garden Show. I'm Lama here with my co-hosts and family, Matthew and Leela, and our guest today is Alex Nielsen from Cinnamon Bear Farm. So Alex, Cinnamon Bear Farm is certified renegade, and for those who don't know, renegade certification is a local alternative to organic certification. It's more affordable for small farms and meets strict standards that exceed those of other organic certifications. Uh, Mendocino Renegade was founded in 2003 as a project of the Mendocino Organic Network, which is also responsible for introducing the Mendocino County Initiative to ban the cultivation of genetically modified organisms. Um, so you can, they have a little cute little logo of a farmer kicking his heels together. You can look for that um, at the farmer's markets and on you know labels when you shop. Alex, how long have you been certified renegade and how has it helped your business? 
I think I'm going on two or three seasons being certified. Um, it's it's a great uh, it's it's amazing. Um, the thing I like the most about it is it's it's locals. Um, the the locals are the the people that run the uh, that run the organization are local farmers from the area, so they all. We all kind of know each other, that, so it's it's really accountable. Um, it's not like a state, you know, someone from the state coming in and you know it's checking under your rug. It's it's more like, you know, it's our it's our neighbors, it's people that have been farming in the community for a long time. Um, so that's really cool. Uh, the as far as how it's helped my business, um, it i mean first of all it adds that accountability if you have that logo a lot of a lot of locals know the renegade name they know the logo and if they don't you can easily educate them um so many i can't count the amount of people that have asked like you know do you spray are you organic um and uh you can say like yeah i'm, I'm locally certified by mendocino renegade it's just a it's it's a cool way of introducing people if they don't know about the uh the organization but it also, with that, you know, with that accountability, it also allows us to sell to like the Ukiah Co-op because um, they only they only buy uh, certified organic produce, so they do they do respect the Mendocino Renegade uh, certification, and uh, they'll they'll purchase your produce uh, if you're Renegade certified, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a big deal to be carried in the co-op move a lot more stuff that way mm-hmm. um so we talked about challenges briefly and i said we'd come back to it mm-hmm. so this year uh well the last few years leading up to um a big drought year this year um you know lack of rainfall increasing temperatures the pests are doing weird things this year um for example i heard one of the farmers talking about um the pigeons coming earlier than usual and eating their blueberries mm. which was totally unexpected and likely related to climate change um and and all these challenges not to mention powder power outages uh planned or unplanned the covid lockdowns potential wildfire so this is you know a lot of uncertainty in farming when you when you have a land-based livelihood um can you talk about you know living with this uncertainty and trying to run a business in these times yeah uh it's definitely been it's been an an odd year um it's been warmer i'd I'd say it's it's the season has lended to you know earlier having earlier crops um having things earlier tomatoes it's it's you know it's been warmer so it's easier to have crops you know the the winter was pretty pretty mild so makes it easier to to have a winter garden but um yeah, uncertainty in farming is kind of, it's always a thing that's there, but I'd say it's a little more, um, it's a little more prevalent with, yeah, with COVID and, and everything else going on, um, and fires. I mean, we just had a fire, the Hopkins fire was, you know, just a few miles from, from our farm. Uh, lots of people lost their house in that farm, lost their homes. So yeah, it's, it definitely is, uh, bit unprecedented especially in my time uh being a farmer but um i think it's just you know it's something 
it's it's something we we always have you know in the background is uh just the uncertainty like are you going to be able to sell your crops you know it's like the weather doesn't always isn't always predictable um so it's it's something you always got to just have in the back of your mind like having extra of of a certain crop you know just making sure that you're you know kind of preparing for the uh unexpected um yeah diversification yeah is key right yeah not just yeah not having your eggs in one basket um is a big is a big thing that i feel like we we strive for um but yeah as far as the drought i mean our we we grow on two locations one cinnamon bear farm our main site which is uh in ukiah it's just outside of town um we don't have water Uh, we ran out of water um very early Uh, we could kind of see it coming we could see just even even in spring we could see that the the water was lower than it's ever been um so we kind of planned for that we kind of expected water to be more of an issue this year uh so yeah we had to just plan for that and plant less Uh, i'd say we planted i mean i probably planted around half of what i usually plant um we just kind of left part of our fields uh bare um and not bare i mean they have they have like the uh the weeds growing which is will be an issue next time but uh (laughs) yeah without the rainfall it was difficult to get uh a cover crop established and um so yeah it's definitely affected our yields and and i kind of had to close shop pretty early we're not we're not doing the markets right now um we're selling a little bit on the food hub um a few local you know local opportunities but other than that yeah we kind of had to kind of to shut it down early unfortunately so would you say because you had to curtail production that you were not really able to produce as much as last year yeah definitely yeah Yeah, last year last year was pretty good um despite the lockdown everything i think it kind of people kind of you know regain that uh appreciation of local food i feel like um people were just showing up at the markets you know and really buying a lot um and they they did this year too but i feel like uh just with the you know the lockdown being so new and and people you know kind of feeling that like urgency of like the food system and with you know store shortages it was kind of you know it was it's kind of scary but um you know people were kind of coming out and supporting local food so yeah and this year we just you know we had the struggles that you know the drought and the fires and everything else so yeah yeah our off off farm jobs are pretty common you know it's that's nothing new yeah joel salison talks about that a lot hustling in the beginning to get on some land um you know my grandpa over in rural Idaho, he worked at the Amalgamated Sugar Factory for 40 years. Meanwhile, he's maintaining a herd of cattle and growing alfalfa and, um, yeah. yeah. Working a job to support his farming dream. Beautiful so. hobbies we all have. So. <laughs> um, we know you've been personally affected by fire. The property where you live burned in 2016. How did that affect your farming operations? 
So I wasn't at the time. I wasn't farming at the property. Uh, in 2016, we just we had some. Uh, my wife has had horses um, all her life, so she she had uh, her horse was was out there um, off of Tomkai, um, and that's really where it affected us. And I my family my my grandparents have lived out in uh, Redwood Valley for 40 years. I mean they built a house out there, and so my my fam- they all had to escape the fire in the middle of the night. Um, you know, it was the, uh, the Redwood complex fire. Um, so that's really where it affected me is my family being directly in the path of that. Um, and then everything that came after that, you know, just seeing, seeing their house, seeing the house that, I mean, one of the houses that I grew up in, you know, with my grandparents, seeing that burn down and, um, and just, I mean, the, the land is still is still recovering um mostly it's it's made a lot of work for for us trying to clean up there's still deadwood everywhere it's you know it's scary to think about the uh the amount of fuel for the next time there's there's an emergency like that um but it did i mean the the fire did kind of clear out an area where we have our garden now um if you want to look at the positives Mm -hmm. um and we also the place we're living at now um it's just a beautiful ranch and had it not been for the fire i don't think we'd be living there so so you gotta look at the positives and negatives but yeah it's it's pretty it it affected my my farm you know emotionally for me and just you know dealing with the struggle of family uh we i mean my family and i we all moved in together so we we're like eight people living in in one house and so yeah that definitely that definitely was a struggle for a little bit um and now just trying to clean up mm -hmm. so there were a few phoenixes that arose from the ashes yeah you could definitely say that yeah Yeah. well i i imagine i think of fire season and um you know we're in it right now and the smoke is also a big issue that we all deal with and as farmers um you know y'all are out there breathing in that smoky air and you don't get to just stay inside with an air purifier so Mm -hmm. um, even if the fires aren't close by um another aspect that we have to deal with yeah yeah Yeah, it's definitely not yeah smoke long-term snow uh smoke inhalation is not not good so the uh good farm fund is a nonprofit community organization that um, a lot of our listeners might know about. Um, they were founded in 2015 with the mission of providing direct support for small farmers in Mendocino and Lake Counties to increase local food security for all members of our community. Uh, and over the years, your farm has received three grants from the Good Farm Fund. Uh, how did you apply the money from these grants? Yeah, shout out to the Good Farm Fund and everyone involved in that. I mean, mm-hmm. NCO, the Food mm-hmm. Hub, you know, all the organizations that have helped to really put the money, you know, put the support of the community into 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 a pot that we as farmers can, you know, can apply for and then use to expand our operations. Um, so I've gotten. So the tools that I've gotten from the food or from the the uh, Good Farm Fund have really changed 
our operation uh the first one i got was a a cedar it's it's a uh, mechanical cedar um it's just amazing it plants you know plants seeds perfectly it plants seeds as small as carrot seeds lettuce seeds um flawlessly and so that like in the first probably in like the first two weeks i used that it paid for itself it was just oh, unbelievable nice. awesome is it, can you describe it to us? I don't use a lot of farm tools like that. So yeah, like so a walk behind or? it's a walk-behind cedar. Um, you just push it, and it, people might be a little more familiar with an earthway cedar. Um, oh, yeah. You can get them in Ace. You know, they're they're just they're. It, it's basically the same the same shape. It's just refined, so it's it's driven by a chain instead of a belt. It's it uses gravity to drop the seed into place. It uses very uh, precise. Uh, seed discs so you have a seed disc for your carrots which is, are very small you have a seed disc for beets which are larger you can even plant like peas and corn with another roller so it's similar to an earthway but it, it instead of picking up seeds with the roller it drops seeds into place um, so it's more of an industrial version of the earthway or a little more robust for the farmer it's very robust um, there's videos of people running while planting with it which <laughs> i've definitely like I haven't ran while planting radishes, but it's possible with this thing. It's so precise. Do your morning jogging exercises while yeah. seeding mm -hmm. radishes. <laughs> it sounds like a huge labor saver. Is yeah, it's huge. Primarily yeah. how it helped? Yeah, labor saving um, precision is like key to a lot of things in farming. So if you can like just be sure that you're dropping seed and not worry about just inconsistencies, um, that's a huge benefit. So just the time, the peace of mind, um, definitely is worth it. What was your second grant? Uh, my second grant, I think the second one, well, with the Jang, I also got funding for a hoop house or the Jang Cedar. That's what it was called. Mm -hmm. Sorry, the, the cedar that I got. We also got funding to build another hoop house, um, which we use for our, our early crops, our early summer crops. Um, Tomatoes. Yeah, tomatoes, squash, cucumbers, uh, and then we got we got funding for a um, a mobile cooler, which we're we're still working on. It's been it's been in the works. All the parts are have been uh, purchased. We're just working on building the thing. We're we're working on building a mobile walk-in trailer, walk-in cooler. Cool. Um, so it's an insulated, you know, it's going to be cooled with a with a cool bot, which is a, a really cool device that turns an AC into a compressor, essentially to cool a, a room. Um, so that's that's amazing. Um, and then the most recent grant I got is for a uh, what's called a BCS walk behind tractor. Uh, it's a two wheel tractor, and it's got we've it's it's basically like a four wheel tractor with two wheels it's got a pto so you have all these different implements you can hook up and in seconds you can you can switch from a mower to a tiller in 30 seconds it's extremely fast you don't have to back it up and line it up you know so precisely as you would with a tractor uh, so it's a little easier it's quicker it's less it's less compaction on the soil um, you can turn on a dime with it and it's just all around it's like it's it's kind of revolutionized our farm with how quickly we can mow a crop um apply the uh 
the organic matter to the soil. Um, we have this really cool tool called a power harrow, which it instead of a tiller where it vertically mixes soil layers, this one just kind of stirs the soil, so it's it's less impactful on the soil. It doesn't bring up weed seeds. Um, it's it's a, an amazing device, um, and the, the tractor can power wood chippers. I mean, log splitters. There's there's just like an endless. Just like a tractor, I mean, it's endless what you can power with this thing, and it's it's all mobile. It's just a, uh, yeah, it's it's more mobile, yeah, than a than a tractor in some ways. Um, there's limitations to it, of course, but on a small land base, I mean, it's it's a pretty amazing tool for what it can do. Well, awesome! Congratulations on those grants. Thank you. Let's go ahead and open up the phone lines. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Alex Nielsen from Cinnamon Bear Farm. Go ahead and give us a call, 895-2448. And this is the Farm and Garden Show. Uh, we're going to keep asking questions. Go ahead and give us a call. We're ready to answer. Looks like we got a call right now, so cool. see what's going on here. You are live on KZYX. Hello. I have a serious problem to talk about. Um... I have been infested, along with all my neighbors up and down the road, with tent caterpillars in the madrone trees. And the madrones down by the river are really very precious. Mm. And the only way I know to get rid of them is since they're infesting from top to bottom, is to take the tree down and burn it. But I'm not about to do that in this time, and I wondered if there were another way to get rid of tent caterpillars. Yeah, um, I those are the ones that create the big webs in the trees, right? And they you could see them... It, from a distance exactly yes Um, and they take over i saw a pear orchard that was destroyed by them and it looked like something out of a horror movie yeah it was very sad yeah um i'm not familiar i mean i i'm not familiar with pests that go into trees um i know there's different way there's different things you can spray there's um that affects caterpillars there's things like bt bacillus uh, thuringiensis uh that basically the the caterpillars ingest it and then it, it just they slowly die from it it doesn't affect a lot of things so it's not like a full spectrum uh pesticide it's a bacteria um that's that's one thing uh other than that i'm not really familiar with uh yeah tree pests um I definitely call like uh, the college, you know, that or like the UC Extension. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they could help for That's sure. Um, yeah, we see them on our drive to Ukiah in the trees. Um, I'm. I wonder if they're actually invasive or if they're native, and maybe they're just part of the ecosystem. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think we'd have to ID them properly first. Yeah, and there there is also um, kind of a county ag cooperative extension through the University of California. Um, they are local, they call themselves local problem solving centers. Um, you can, I'm not, you know, they're at 300 campus based areas. Um, but you might want to get a hold that of them, sounds, someone in your local area. Excellent. 
excellent, and I will give them a call. Um, I don't want to burn down the tree. No, and please, they, please don't. don't do that, especially yeah. right now. <laughs> they really appreciate getting that kind of information, too, because it could be a, an isolated situation. So it could actually really help out if you gave them a call. So I, I don't have the phone number with me. Sorry about that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank Bye-bye. you for your call. Have a good day. So you were just talking about the BCS walk behind. Oh, we have another caller. Let's go ahead and take that. Caller, you are live. You are live, caller. Are you there? Hi, right. This uh, we live in Redwood Valley, and we recently uh, this year we've been in the same spot for thirty-six years, and we inherited a fantastic. Uh, group of uh, raspberries that almost fruit for five four or five straight months nice. they've been they've been they've been oh it's been wonderful uh they've been great year after year after year and their tomatoes have been good this summer for whatever reason that they look like they're almost all dead we got no fruit and we have hardly any tomatoes all in the same garden and we haven't done anything different i'm just wondering if what we should do to how to test the soil or was it because the heat was so bad in may and june we're doing the same watering schedule. Nothing has really shifted. And every year we have horses, so we put manure on everything for the nitrogen throughout the winter. I'm way open to any suggestions. Yeah, so the plants, they just look burned and and dead? Yeah, the burned, burned and shriveled up. Yeah. Um, if I'd say if your water, if uh, if the water isn't, you're, you're watering them and they haven't, there's nothing different. Um, it's really hard to say. Uh it could be just lack of, you know, water storage in the soil um, from early on, like with the amount of rain that we got. Um, it could also be maybe you're adding too much nitrogen and they got burned. Uh, you know, horse manure can be pretty high if it's if it's fresh. You know, I don't know if you're if it's composted. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to say without looking. Uh, there could I'd say a soil test would be a good place to start. Uh, and where do I do that? Where do I do that or get that information? There, there's a lot of places to do soil tests. Um, there's, I'm trying to think of one. I think, I think some like the colleges, uh, like the UC, you could send send it into UC Davis or something. Basically, you, I'd, I'd go on the internet and search soil test, and then you, you basically you you buy a kit. Sometimes you don't even have to buy it; they'll just send you one. Um, and then you take a you take a couple samples from your garden, and then you send it off, and they they test it in the lab, and then they'll send you the results. Uh, so that's yeah. There, there's there's many different sites that will do uh, soil tests. Um, okay. Yeah, and you All know right. my comment about the the watering um, thing was I was really caught off guard this year with my garlic. Usually I can I can I don't have to water my garlic until May, you know. So I think yeah. all of us are a little bit out of sorts just with the cycle of, of you know being in a historically unprecedented mega drought. But nonetheless, so thank you for thank you for calling in. Yeah, we actually we have on a we're on a drip system within the garden, and we actually almost doubled the amount of water just to see if it would make a difference, and it was nothing, made hmm. no difference. Hmm. Yeah, if that's the case, I'd I'd just check on your on your nitrogen source. Um, it could be just too much. I mean, I've I've burned I've burned plants, you know, from 
with nitrogen, I burned them with phosphorus. So it, it's there. There's a you know there's fine line. You know, adding a little bit too much can can really make a difference. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, and have a good day. Bye bye. All right. If you've got a question for Alex or want to talk about farming with us, the number is 895-2448. We have a little less than 20 minutes left of the show. Alex uh, was discussing uh, what he used funds from his Good Farm Fund grant this last year, which was a BCS walk behind. What other types of small farm technology are you excited about? Yeah, there's... That's something that's really cool. There's a lot of uh, a lot of technology that's coming out for small farms. Uh, I think we have a call. Uh, Caller, you are live on the air here with Alex Nielsen. Are you there? This question, it might have been the garden show before, but my biggest problem with gardening, even landscaping plants, and even small trees or large shrubs has been voles. And they're just—they've seemed to have taken over the neighborhood. I've heard it from everyone, mm-hmm. and they've just gotten worse over the years. And this has been the absolute worst this year. I, I didn't even put a garden in. What with the lack of water and the voles, it's almost—I mean, it was almost useless. <laughs> Do you have any ideas other than um, the white bucket and the mouse traps? Because we're talking hundreds, probably thousands. Yeah, it has been a crazy year for voles. Um, the place that we're at has a, a large vole problem, and uh, yeah, I I don't really know. I've heard I've heard that you just kind of have to wait till disease eventually knocks them all out and kind of they restart. That's what I've heard from some some locals, mm-hmm. um, which usually happens. There's there's a cycle where they'll just they'll get disease and then they'll you know the the cycle will start over but um yeah i don't know i've heard i've heard of people using like you say like above ground traps um Mm -hmm. you know there's putting up owl boxes or or i did that too yeah (laughs) they haven't moved in yet (laughs) yeah it's all time that was last year no um i also tried the um um castor bean oil Mm-hmm. And, and the oil worked sort of, but then I tried some crumbles in the rose garden, and those seemed to work better. But they, you know, I said it cost so many thousand square feet it, that it didn't. I put it in the seed broadcaster and set it for the appropriate whatever, and it was that was it. It did the rose garden, and that was it. So it was a little pricey to do that. Yeah. So yeah, voles are they're one of those things. It's like gophers. You know, you can trap them, you can kind of get a handle on them. But mm-hmm. voles are, yeah, they're a different different animal yeah and for, okay. for my part the only way the only time i've seen an infestation kind of get knocked back a little was with just very heavy tillage just going back and forth you know five times oh, with a big okay. tiller which isn't really recommended i don't right. think and at I, all I have so. beds and you know of course you've got to then do the entire garden because you know they have beds with sides on them and then you've got a path in between the beds so kind of thing so yeah i'd be doing the path doing the beds Etc. Yeah, I also was told that a big heavy rain will drown them out, and mm-hmm. which is why right now they've been able to multiply and make more and more and more voles. So, and they have oh three litters a year or something. Uh, awesome. What comes to mind to me is cats. Do you have cats you can? I have cats. Put in the garden. I have cats. And I have you know they're they're older cats, and they, mm. they one catches in a vole on occasion. Yeah, you have to and, stop feeding them. <laughs> so. Yeah, well that's the problem. <laughs> 
It sounds like you have a good strategy by just um, you're kind of laying low this year, and t- maybe yeah. you're taking away their food yeah. source. So, well, I'm hoping so. They're, they've come in. They've actually almost killed a 20 year old lilac, and I mean, it's, I'm like, why is it keep wilting? I keep watering it, and Aww. then vroom, 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 vroom. The holes under the tree is or the bush. So, yeah. Yeah. The, another thing for like for established like um, established perennials, if you if you got like young trees or something. Uh-huh. Uh, Making sure the base, there's nothing, no weeds around the base of the plants. And then oh, so um, the, the foxes and the owls can see them, huh? Yeah, so they don't have a place to hide. That's, that's okay. like a huge, just keeping things like generally clean, um, take away their hiding spaces. Mm. And then uh, they'll, they'll usually girdle like a young plant, you know, you'll see like around mm-hmm. the base of it, they'll chew mm-hmm. around that, that bark layer. And then the plant, you know, it can't uptake water. So, Right. Wrapping, you can wrap like a foil or something just oh, around the base so they can't the chew on yeah. it. Um, yeah. That can help too, but it, it, it'll it just prevent them from chewing on it. It won't really take care of the, uh, the, roots, the multiplicity. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I even bought some vol baskets, but they're, that's a lot of baskets, the, mm. those little wire mesh things. Mm-hmm. And, well, and I haven't, I've only tried two plants in it, but okay. Well, thank you very much. I was hoping someone had a miracle cure out there. Yeah, well, we're always open, so give us a call if you figure it out, please. Thank you. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Anybody else wants to call in, you can give us a call at 707-895-2448, and we're talking about farming here with Alex Nielsen of Cinnamon Bear Farm. Yeah, farm tools. Um... There's a lot of cool tools out there right now for small farmers. Uh, there's, I mean, there there's new wire weeders. Uh, Johnny's, the Johnny Seed Company has like these really cool wire weeders that are just really cool for taking out thread size weeds. Uh, there's right now probably my one of my favorite tools is uh, it's called a paper pot transplanter, which really streamlines the planting process. Um, where you can basically plant i mean if if you're unfamiliar like look up a video of the paper pot transplanter uh on youtube it's like you can plant hundreds of seedlings in very little time whereas you know you don't have to bend over and plant one at a time it's it's amazing i'd like to see that in action that sounds cool all right we've got a call here caller you are on the air I, I missed the last uh, it oh. sounded, I thought I heard the, the word mole and vole, you know, V-O-L-E. Yeah. And they're, they're completely different. So which one was being talked about? I think she was talking about the voles. They're the more the more mouse-like little rodents. With right. a V, with right. a V, not the blind mole with an M. Right, yeah, they're, they're just, they're, they're totally different what they eat. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, and I know that there are different species, and I've only lived here two years. I was I was in uh, northwest Idaho before that, and uh, the experience with the voles there was that they would they'd do most of their eating above ground and voraciously. That's right. Um, the, but when there was big populations, there are much more of a problem than gophers were. Um, but I, I really wonder how much good the tilling would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be great if, if you could do figure out some kind of predator 
or even encourage, if, if you had trees, to encourage owls or hawks. But, I mean, that's slow and iffy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when I, and when I, I saw the, mo- the population be knocked back by tilling, it only lasted a few weeks, and then they came right back. So it's not a solution, unfortunately. Yeah. And, okay, them. yep. Caller, uh-huh. I think you're right. The best way to address it is by having a balanced ecosystem there. So if you have a predator, uh, excuse me, um, a pest, that something's out of balance, right? And so you want to bring in the predator that will, you know, reduce that population. That's ideal for sure. Yeah. And sometimes if it's, if it's the crop that they really love, um, in my case it was potatoes, if, you, if you're doing any smaller scale planting to have it in, in a bed with, with, you know, hardware cloth in the bottom, mm-hmm. a mesh bottom. But, I mean, I know that's expensive and, and it's hard to grow very much that way. Mm-hmm. But, you know. But, yeah, it works, it works for the home gardener for sure. Or yes, if you yeah. can get them in like, yeah. wine barrels or something. Yeah, it's worth helps. it for right, those potatoes, right. I'd say. But, what's that? It's worth it for those potatoes. Matthew loves potatoes. Yeah, but that's, it seems like potatoes hate heat more than most things. So growing in barrels or you're too close to the edge of raised beds, that's what, what a problem this year is. And anyway, your show is very interesting, and, and thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, Alex, what's your favorite thing to grow? Um, I... I thought it was tomatoes for a while, and I, I really do love growing tomatoes because I love eating tomatoes. Um, I'd say my favorite thing to grow is probably carrots because uh, I just I love the feeling of pulling carrots out of the ground, making a bunch of carrots, and like when you pull first pull them out, they're really dirty, and then you clean them off, and it's like they're like gold. It's just mm-hmm. yeah, I love I love carrots. Looks like we got another call here. You are live on KZYX. Are you there, caller? Go ahead and give us a call back. When you said carrots, I we grow carrots in our garden too, and it's one of Leela's favorite things to dig up. She loves mm-hmm. excavating, you know, any root crop, and then you know, beets have this ruby color, and the carrots. Yeah, there's something about growing like pulling roots out of the ground. You know? <laughs> it's like buried treasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm dreaming or making this up, but I don't think gophers or voles enjoy rutabaga that much. So there's one you can get away with. They'll ah, still nibble on them. They'll hmm. nibble. Gophers will definitely but, uh, nibble. They don't take the whole thing. Yeah. Um, do you have any favorite varieties that you find um, does well in our area? Mm. Um, I got to give a shout out to uh, Irene's garden because she grows some amazing garlic. Uh, and the garlic that I've gotten from her and planted in my garden is outperformed any other garlic that i've gotten from a like a seed catalog or anything it's just it's acclimated she's been growing it in Leightonville for for years um she's kept it going i hope she keeps i hope she keeps growing it you know she's doing the powdered garlic and i hope she keeps growing seed garlic um so that's that's amazing but as far as like carrots um i grow the nancy's carrots you know the just the they're really good sweet orange carrots they they tend to do pretty well um we i'll I'll, uh give you one of jack's favorite tomatoes which is the pineapple um that one performs very well it's like a very big bright orange uh tomato 
and very sweet tomato and those do really well here too looks like we got a call here caller you are live we've got about three minutes i'm trying to get on call in but i keep getting the uh line keeps getting messed up well you're live now so what, what would you like to talk about today um, it's about the voles and about how I moved in here with a vole uh, family living in, under pine needles, and I've had gopher plants for years that have always worked. I've had big arguments about this. They are poisonous plants. They work on mice. You can plant them around your house. They're very prolific. They're, they're the seed the, with the seeds. Mm-hmm. I have lots of extra seeds I could send to anybody. Um, they have always worked so for now me. You're talking I have about no voles after having a huge family living under a under a, a pile of pine needles. Now you know I have never had them come back. Wow. And you're talking about a gopher plant, and it exudes something in the soil, right? That repels. Yes, it's a poisonous plant. It exudes it. it they, you know, they sense it. Mm-hmm. They sense that that is in there, and they don't want to come anywhere near it. It, it must exude into the soil. Mm-hmm. They smell it or something. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard things about like uh, like marigolds. You know, planting marigolds. Yes, in the I garden have marigolds and... too. Those aren't half. This is really effective. Okay. I mean, I moved in here. They were under the pine needles. I've lived here for more than ten years. Not had a single vole problem. I'm having above the ground problem that I think is chipmunks but that's okay as long as the bowls don't eat up everything else thanks for the tip yeah the chipmunk problem has been uh pretty yes, serious I can send this year some out you know if you'd like <laughs> Yeah, you know, every year at in Boonville, there's the Seed and Scion Exchange, and I think people yeah, would be at, very excited. At the local um, farmers market, there is too. So I'll bring some in there. And oh, that, what's, your local tell them about it too. what's your local farmers there's market? What's your local farmers market? Arguments about it. I've gone to argument with somebody at the botanical gardens about it that claimed they they didn't work for her, but they sure work for me. Mm-hmm. And I've moved about from place to place, and. Um, no matter where I go, I've never had a vol problem. M- Miss, what's your local farmer's market? Um, Gualala. Okay. And I live under, you know, in a forested area where it's vol <laughs> city. Vol heaven. Yeah, totally. Heaven, it's their, you know, their habitat. And so, you know, they've had to go t- into the forest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we look forward to getting some of that seed. Okay, I'll bring some to the uh, Gualala farmer's market. Excellent. Thank you. And thanks. thanks for calling in. Oh, sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Alex, we've just got a couple minutes left here. Uh, how can people learn more about Cinnamon Bear Farm? Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, we do, we're not super active on social media. We do have an Instagram. Uh, I think it's at uh, Cinnabear Farm. Uh but yeah, we we'd have a Facebook too, Cinnamon Bear Farm. Um, but we uh, and as well as our uh, we have a website. That's probably where you can learn most uh, about Cinnamon Bear Farm. It's cinnamonbearfarm.com. Um, and where can people buy your produce right now? Yeah, it's it's pretty limited. Um, mostly is on the Food Hub, um, which the Food Hub I just wanted to say is. Uh, 
going to start opening up to uh, EBT customers in All right. 2022, uh, which is amazing. So check out the Mendel Lake Food Hub and buy the local bounty box. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you for being on the show. And thank you for being a food producer for Mendocino County. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks, Alex. My pleasure. You have been listening to the Farm and Garden Show with your hosts, Lemma, Matthew, and Leela. And thank you, Alex Nielsen of Cinnamon Bear Farm. Until next time, stay tuned for Democracy Now! coming up at 4. Adios. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.